Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you guys are doing okay. Today, I wanted to give you kind of the highlights so far of the online OCD conference. I'm actually working my way through it, and I'm almost done with the things that I wanted to watch. And there's a lot of things that are kind of a good reminder, and I think there's things in there that parents don't know, like they haven't caught up with the research and with the new trends for OCD. And so I want to give you kind of the cliff notes version of the things that I think are really important for parents to know that are kind of being talked about. And they were talked about last year. They've been talked about for the last couple of years, just the trends that are happening in OCD. And in particular, I want to talk about how that applies to pediatric OCD. So stick with me. We're going to be talking all about that today. Before we get started, I want to give you a little preview of some big changes happening at the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I am going to be creating some extra episodes and they're going to be called mini coaching episodes. And I'm not exactly sure how many times I'm going to do it a month. It depends on how many questions I get, but you can sponsor my mini coaching episodes. And as a sponsor, you get to submit questions and you and I kind of get to chat. You let me know what's going on in your world and I'll talk directly to you and give you some of my impressions and suggestions and support based on what you tell me. So that is going to be happening at the end of August. I'm very excited about it because I think it'd just be really cool to be able to help people in a more direct way because I get a lot of emails and a lot of messages, and I can't answer any of them. And my assistant has to tell people I can't answer them. And so this will give you an opportunity to sponsor the mini coaching episodes. So stay tuned for that. If you want to know more about it, or you want to know when it's going to be happening, you can text mini coach to 44222. There are going to be three levels of sponsorship, and there are a lot of perks that actually come with being a sponsor. So the first tier is a $5 mini coaching sponsor, and you get to submit your questions. You get become part of my Patreon community. So there's a page where I will upload bonus material and you'll have access to all of that, which will be very cool. I'm sure that I'll probably also let Patreons in there know things first. I tend to give a lot to people. And so I'm sure there's going to be things that'll happen over there. My second tier is my coaching sponsor level. And not only will you get all that, but you will get 30% off all of my classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. So that's a big perk. And that's a $10 sponsorship. And you're probably getting about $38 off of each class. So that is well worth it. And the third level of sponsorship, if you want to sponsor my work and the things that I'm doing, would be a $40 supersized coaching sponsor. I'm only going to limit those to 10 people. It's $40 a month and they get access to my AT Parenting community, which is totally separate from all this. And to be a member of my AT Parenting community, one, I only open that three to four times a year and it's $30 a month in and of itself. And supersized coaching sponsors will also get 30% off all my classes, even though in the AT parenting community, you actually get one of my big classes for free as a member and you get my difficult 
behavior class for free as well. So, and you get my mini moral OCD class for free. So you get a lot of stuff in the AD parenting community that you just get to join by being a supersized sponsor. And you also get to submit your questions for my mini coaching podcast episode. And the other weird thing that I'm going to do that I actually think is kind of cool is I'm going to create personalized videos for those sponsors. If you have a child or a teen who watches my YouTube videos and needs some personal advice or a very specific issue or just a check-in to say, hey, you know, I know that you can do this. You're doing fantastic. And you can give me a lot of information about your kid and I can make a very personalized video to them. I'm going to be doing that as a gift to those people that are sponsoring me at that level. That's why I capped it at 10 because that could be a lot of videos. I'm only doing one video per person, but that still can be a lot. They get to join the AT Parenting community, even though currently the AT Parenting community is closed. So if you want to know more about that, you can get on my list so that I can text you when those things start to happen. We are going to open that up at the end of August. And again, you can text mini coach at 44222. I would love to get to know you better. And that is one way to do it. So always trying to think of creative ways to give a little bit more in kind of an affordable sort of way. So hopefully you will be a mini coach sponsor and we can get to know each other a little bit better. Okay, moving on to today, I want to talk to you about all the different things that I wanted to highlight on what I learned at the OCD conference. And a lot of it, well, for me, I would have to say most of it, if not all of it, was just a refresher. But it also reminded me that these are things that I really need to convey more to parents who are raising kids with OCD. So I'm going to go through them. And then I'll probably get on my soapbox and add my own stuff as well as we go through. And these are not in any particular order. They are actually in just in the order that I watched these. I'm not done with it yet. I really like the whole on-demand online conference. I'm really hoping that they are going to do it like that again. It's supposed to be happening in New York City next year. I know I have a couple of things I was supposed to be presenting, but I actually like not presenting. Kind of nice to just sit back and watch all of these and not have the stress of actually being there. I think that's my social anxiety talking. But anyway, let's talk. The first thing, I watched a couple of different workshops on treatment-resistant people, and I think that's a really good thing to talk about because honestly, I get more questions about what to do when a child doesn't want to help themselves than pretty much any other question. I get that question the most, and then the second one is how to handle difficult behavior. And they seem to go hand in hand. So just a couple of quick pointers. Like I just took out like things that I thought, ooh, that's really good to talk about with parents. And so they're just like random points. Alan Wegg had a workshop on treatment-resistant people. And there were a couple of things that I thought I wanted to highlight. There are actually two things. He talked about making things kind of simplistic for people. And a lot of times we think of these hierarchies and they're complicated. And I think that that is the approach. And we're going to get into that in more detail in my next point. But I think sometimes it's just so overwhelming for our kids and uh, they're not ready for that. So he talked about, it's funny, he was talking about this and I, I do this in my practice already, but I thought it was a good thing to maybe highlight to you guys is he does OCD free times, right? So you can do like a little window where your child's committed to not doing any compulsions in that period of time. And then you can grow that with the kids that I work with in my practice sometimes I will do that where we'll have like an OCD free time in the morning and we'll have an OCD free time 
in the evening. And then over time, we're growing those periods closer and closer together until eventually they smush together. And I do that for a lot of kids that it's like, you can tell that to stop all their compulsions would be too overwhelming and they need some smaller steps. So developing some OCD free time can be helpful with some kids that are, that are struggling. And then he also talked about OCD free spaces. Now I have not done that. And I thought that was a very cool idea. So maybe when you are in the kitchen, you don't do any compulsions in the kitchen. Like that's an OCD free zone and you wouldn't want your child to start avoiding that zone. So I thought that that was a very cool idea as well. I'm sure some OCD therapists do that, but I haven't. And I like that idea. And then I also was listening to Alec and Heidi Pollard. He is hysterical and they are a very funny couple and they are researchers who do a lot of work around treatment resistance. And I think the biggest takeaway, and it was kind of just a reminder, it was just a refresher, but there is so much that a therapist can do with you. And I'm going to get a little bit more on my soapbox and their talk just kind of spurred this idea in me to remind parents, because I'm doing it all the time in my private Facebook group, and I'm doing it all the time in the AT parenting community, but I want to do it on the podcast too, to remind you that even if your child is not willing to, or not able, I like the word able, because really a lot of times they're just not able to work on their stuff in that moment, or, you know, at this point in their life, what can you do as a parent? And there are a lot of things that you can do as a parent. You can work with an OCD therapist by yourself. And that's kind of what Alec was talking about was that a therapist can work with you directly. And a lot of times we think our child has to do all the work or it's, there's nowhere to go with that. And if you're raising a child with OCD, we are doing a lot of stuff and I'm raising two out of my three kids have OCD. You can't help, but have an environment that is sometimes supporting OCD and is completing OCD loops. So looking at the accommodations you're providing, What kind of things are you doing to support OCD, whether it comes to like buying a lot of soap, doing a lot of laundry, wiping things down, opening doors for your child, answering reassurance questions, OCD will hook you in and finding an OCD therapist to work with just you. If your child's not ready, could be a a wonderful thing to do. Okay. And I am going to go through these rather quickly. So just bear with me. I'm just kind of bringing this like the highlight reel of what I got. I wanted to spend the bulk of my time talking about inhibitory learning because I really feel like that shift in research has not reached parents and some therapists. So even therapists, I'm seeing people talking about exposures in a very old fashioned sort of way. And I'm hearing parents talk about it. And even my online class um, initially talked about exposures in the very traditional sort of way. And I did update it last year but I'm going to include this podcast episode as an update in my OCD class as well, so that you're staying abreast of kind of, it's a fluid approach and new research is always flying in, telling us how to do things a little bit better. So the inhibitory learning approach to exposure therapy kind of versus the emotional processing theory, EPT, is a little bit different. And so it is fear reduction and it's not the same as safety learning. So we're learning how to have our kids sit with discomfort and they don't have to habituate to anxiety, which means I'll speak English. (laughs) Sorry, I stopped speaking English for a second. It means that, that we're teaching them how to cope with those anxious feelings and we're not gauging success based on whether those anxious feelings went down. 
So you're not saying, was I successful because their anxiety went down? Where with EPT and in like the old school exposures, we were taught develop a hierarchy. We want to make sure that we don't go up to a 10. And then we want to see them kind of almost habituate to the anxiety and reduce it over time. And what they're showing is that they don't have to reduce their anxiety. They're building up their tolerance. And so that is a change and it it will impact you on, in a couple of different ways. One, if you're doing exposures at home, which a lot of us are, you don't have to do a hierarchy or you don't have to follow a hierarchy. So you can randomly do it. And there is an idea, and I think this is more of an ACT approach, but I think maybe it's ACT and inhibitory learning together to make a menu. And I like that. I like that term to make a menu and come up with different things that you would put on a hierarchy and instead present it as a menu that the child can pick from. So what would you like to do today? You know, what sounds good? Do you want to do this thing that makes you feel like you're a four? Do you want to do this thing that makes you feel like a 10? I still like giving numbers. I think that I'm a concrete person, so that helps me. Some people have moved completely away from doing suds, doing a one to 10 kind of check-in. But when you're doing the exposure, it's not critical anymore to ask them, where are you right now? What number are you now? What number are you now? Because we're not waiting for that that loop to go down. We're not waiting for that anxiety decrease to happen so that the exposure can end. We've moved away from that. And if they are a nine or a 10 the whole time, that's still okay because it's like going to the OCD gym. They're lifting up some heavy weights and they're building their muscle. Now, caveat to that, I personally, when I, when I work with kids, I want to know where they're at because I don't want them to never want to do exposures again. <laughs> so to me, it still does matter as far as engagement goes. So I probably will check in with them and ask them what number they are, but I take it with a grain of salt because they can say they're an eight, but maybe they're a two, or they can say they're a 10 and maybe they're like a five. So those numbers, you got to take them with a grain of salt and they don't necessarily dictate what you're doing or what you're going to be doing. Now, there were a couple of other things that Jonathan Abramowitz was talking about in his research that I thought was really, it's common sense, but it's its so good. And I just want to make sure that I highlight it here as well. Layering fear cues, which means making sure that we're putting different layers on it. And I think a lot of times OCD therapists just naturally do this, but it's good for parents to understand this as well, that we want to in research terms, combine fear cues. So we want to deepen the extinction of what is going on by layering it. And I talk about this a lot when I talk about doing exposures. Like if I was going to do an imaginal script and tell a child a story that was going to trigger their OCD, then I might do an image that goes with it or a sound effect. If I'm treating a child with a metaphobia, we might build up to the point where they can look at a video of someone throwing up. And then maybe I tell them a story about them and that, that it's them throwing up. Or maybe sometimes they're not ready for that. I might show them a picture of someone throwing up, but then I might do a sound effect of someone throwing up at the same time. Doing layers can be very helpful. So you might have someone touch something that's germy, and then you might do an imaginal script where you're telling them a story about how after they ate that or after they touched that, you know, whatever their core fear is happened. And so we're adding a layer of distress, which can help create a better end result. The other thing is he talked about linguistic learning and labeling what people are feeling as they're doing exposures and not to process it. Cause I think this can be tricky and it can be misinterpreted, but 
to get connected with the feelings that they're having during the exposures. I am feeling anxious. I just touched the doorknob and now it's making me feel like germs are all over my body. And so he was talking about how research has shown that that can be very helpful in linguistic learning, you know, actually having them speak it out loud. I found that interesting. That's not something I normally do. So that's something I'm going to be incorporating and I recommend you do too. And then the other thing he was talking about is doing variable exposure intensity instead of kind of moving up a hierarchy. And so we kind of think that it makes sense to, you know, go step by step by step. And he made a couple of different points. He said, there's more opportunity for surprise in the real world. There is no hierarchy. He recommended a to-do list as opposed to a hierarchy. I do like the word menu. I think that comes from ACT. I'm not an ACT therapist and we will talk about ACT in a second, but I do like to incorporate a lot of the things that I'm hearing about how to incorporate them. And he mentioned, and again, I'm talking about Jonathan Abramowitz, who's a researcher, he mentioned that that when we do a hierarchy, it's almost like we're conveying this message that says you can't handle the higher ones. And so it's like dangerous or nerve wracking or you're not ready for it. And so there is this kind of built in connotation that you have to do these smaller ones because you can't handle those bigger ones. And I thought that was a pretty valid point. So doing a menu or a to-do list is probably a better approach for some kids. The other thing he talked about, and then we'll move on, is that you need to vary these exposures. So the context needs to be different. And this is something that I think a lot of therapists can get stuck in is that they're always doing exposures in their office. I am very big on kids doing exposures in the real world. And even when they do it in the real world, I want them to do it in different places. So don't just do it in that one bathroom, go to your other bathroom, go do it in a restaurant bathroom, Um, go do it in different locations. So that's a little bit harder right now with the pandemic. (laughs) Speaking of that, I was just thinking about that, but you want it to be generalized in various contexts. So different locations, different times, different days, other people present, other people not present are those, those are the things that he brought up, which I thought was important. He also said space out times, which I found interesting, a variable practice intervals. So that means maybe don't do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, maybe you skip two days, then you do it a third day. And I thought that was interesting too, because I've been kind of a diehard consistency. And I do feel like consistency is key, but we don't want to get stuck in any pattern, basically. So if they sometimes do it with you, maybe they do it with their dad sometimes, or maybe they do it by themselves sometimes. If they're always doing their exposures in the morning, then maybe they should do it in the evening. And that actually ironically came up in one of my therapy sessions recently where a child was doing her exposures only in the morning or like during like early times before sunset. And she had made the separation that doing it at sunset would have been scarier for her. And so it was great that she was able to articulate that because then I was like, oh my gosh, no, then we need to change up the times. Don't always do it at 10 a.m. We need to do it at different times. And so that really speaks to actually what, what he was talking about in this research. So those are all you know kind of highlights that are coming out of inhibitory learning approach. And I'm really liking hearing about that and I can't get enough of it. (laughs) It's all stuff I've heard before, but whenever I listen to it, I just, it's just great reminders of some of the changes that have happened in the last few years that I've been trying to incorporate in my practice. And I think that parents should incorporate in theirs. So moving away from the hierarchy and trying to present some variables in intensity, in time, in the environment of what you're doing. 
And I think the key, the biggest key takeaway is that you're not trying to get your child to reduce their anxiety. And we want to convey this to kids. We're trying to get them to live with uncertainty and doubt. And so that's what I, that's what I try to make sure that I'm conveying to the kids when I'm teaching them about exposures, you're going to do this thing. It's going to get you uncomfortable and you're going to learn how to sit with that uncertainty and doubt. It's like going to the OCD gym. It's not fun when you're doing it, but you're building up your tolerance. And so you're building up your muscles so that when OCD randomly wants to say to you, oh, by the way, you're a really bad person because you did this and you start to feel uncomfortable. You're like, oh, I know this feeling. I've been practicing this feeling. I can handle this feeling. I can move on and focus on something else with this feeling because I have done it before in exposures. So that's kind of the main point. That brings me to talking a little bit about ACT, acceptance commitment therapy. Boy, did they have a lot of ACT stuff this year. I mean, there were tons of ACT workshops and classes during the OCD conference. It is very, very in vogue right now. And I think there's a lot to learn about how to incorporate ACT with ERP. And it is tricky with kids. I find my friend, Dr. Zarita Ona does a great job incorporating it with kids, but how do you incorporate it as a parent? And I have had some parents incorporate it really well. And I think a lot of times other parents are struggling. Like they don't know exactly what you do with that in the home environment. And I think it could be as simple as saying to your child, especially one who's not motivated, what do they enjoy? And ACT has a lot of jargon. And that's part of, I guess, my issue with ACT is I'm not a jargon person. I mean, that's kind of my whole shtick on my podcast and my classes is simplicity. Like, let's just all speak English. Let's just make things clear. Like, let's just help our kids. It doesn't have to be all complicated. And nothing really is when you actually listen to people talk, you can like water it down and and spoon feed it to people very simply. It doesn't have to sound complicated so that it sounds more academic and expensive. (laughs) You know, you need to pay me a lot of money for me to tell you this. No, it's actually really simple stuff. So I think with ACT, um, they talk a lot about values and choices. They have a lot of their own lingo. But the bottom line is, what does your child like to do? that OCD is getting in the way of. And I talk about that with kids. What what can't you do anymore because OCD is bothering you? And kids will say, I can't touch my video games or I can't go out with my horse or I can't hang out with my friends at my house anymore. I hear that a lot. And what would OCD, what would life look like if you didn't have OCD, right? So we're talking about their values, what things are getting blocked because of OCD. And then I also incorporate, I guess, an act type of methodology by saying, what do you want to work on? You know, and and picking something that will give them that payback right away. Like I can instantly have friends over if I could fix this. So letting the child drive that and then letting them accept, and this kind of comes back to act two, I'm accepting this feeling. I'm having this intrusive thought and I'm accepting it. I'm acknowledging it. And I am then also choosing to refocus my attention on something that I enjoy. And it's simplistic in that way. You know, do I want to spend this time enjoying my friends and walking down the beach? Or do I want to spend this time doing what my OCD is telling me, which is maybe to watch my feet and make sure I don't step on, you know, needles as I walk down the beach. So I get to choose where do I want to put my focus on the water and my friends or on the sand and potential needles and teaching kids that approach can be really helpful. I do really like the ACT workbook for teens with OCD, and you can find that on Amazon. That is one that I would recommend. 
that kids do. It's what I recommend in my practice. I have them do, you know, the workbook and it's, it's very supplemental to the work that I'm doing with them. And so they can do both and they can learn what their values are and learn what things are important to them and learn some act principles while doing exposures. And so it's a nice, it's a nice bonus that can really make a difference, especially for kids who are maybe lacking motivation. Okay. The last thing I want to talk about, which really I'm not going to go into, but I just really enjoyed her presentation was Dr. Rebecca Sachs's presentation on ASD and OSD. She did a really good presentation. And if you missed it, I would recommend going to her website and she's got some resources there. And her website is cbtspectrum.com. She was fantastic. And I know I have so many people in my practice, not my practice. I have so many people in my Facebook group who have children with both ASD and OSD. It's a common combination of having someone on the spectrum and they have some OCD struggles. And so she's a great resource. So go check out her website. And if you have access to the conference, well, it's probably over by now, but hopefully you caught that because I found that really interesting as well. Okay. Well, those were kind of my highlights, my highlight reel. Uh, I'm not done yet, but those were like the big ones. There were also some research ones that were talking about glutamate. And there were some that were talking about some like rat studies and some really hopeful research coming out of that world where they're getting closer to being able to understand OCD and understand the circuits of the brain that are, that are causing OCD behavior. And if they can understand that in a more comprehensive way, then they can provide better treatment options. So I always love watching those because it always makes me feel hopeful when I hear the researchers directly talking about that. And it makes me feel like we're getting closer to understanding the brain. So I hope that you found that helpful. I hope that maybe helps tweak your approaches at home, especially with inhibitory learning, maybe a little bit of ACT principles in there. And if you want to learn more about the mini coaching, please don't forget to text mini coaching to 44222. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Actually, now like Amazon's coming out with a podcast and Google Play is changing. So I have to change how I say that. YouTube is merging. I have no idea what's going on, but I'm getting emails about it. So wherever you listen to your podcast, if you can hit a star, I appreciate that. And if you have a few extra minutes and can leave a review, that's even more appreciated because there's nothing better than someone reading about the value of a show. So I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do, and I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.